Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. If you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Genesis chapter 45, and uh, we've been walking along in this study uh, for quite some time now, and uh, last week we saw that God often reveals himself in our most fragile states. Again, you look through the the scriptures, and specifically last week we saw uh, that the brothers had come before Joseph, and they were trembling, basically. They felt guilty they felt like they were in trouble they felt like they couldn't do anything else uh, other than beg for mercy and Joseph couldn't take it anymore he revealed that that it was himself uh, the prince of Egypt and uh, that's where we were again our study has brought us from the point that Jacob's second son which is Joseph uh, has been sold by his brothers betrayed by his brothers uh, gone to Egypt has served in Potiphar's house, has been thrown in prison, falsely accused, forgotten about in prison, uh, just left alone. All these things negative has happened to him. And then now we've seen him serving as, again, the governor of all of Egypt or the prince of Egypt. And he has um, served in this capacity, ruling over everything that uh, Pharaoh owns. Again, he had the kingdom in his hands. His brothers have come back wants to get grain, sent away, realized that they, were, they, they, they left with more than they actually uh, had intended to or had bargained for, came back because Joseph wanted them to come back with the youngest brother. They came back, and then they left again. Joseph had his steward put a silver cup, his silver cup, in Benjamin's bag, and so he caught up to him and said, hey, somebody stole the, the, the uh, governor's cup, and they said, no, you're crazy. There's no way we would have stolen the cup. We, we, we brought money back. We brought stuff back. There's no way that we would have stolen something. And, um, and so they said, uh, matter of fact, you can check everybody's bag. And, and whoever's bag, if you find it, it's in, then that person could be put to death. They were so confident. Well, it goes through and checks from the oldest, youngest. Sure enough, again, they find the cup in Benjamin, the very youngest son's bag, who was precious to Jacob because he was the only second son to Jacob and Rachel, which Rachel was the beloved of Jacob, the one that Jacob wanted. Uh, He had other sons by Leah, but he wanted uh, Rachel. And uh, again, Joseph to Jacob was gone. Benjamin was the only one. So they find the cup in Benjamin's sack, and so they have to go back. They go back, and that's when, again, Joseph eventually reveals himself uh, to this. Now, the famine in the land was real. That's why they were going to Egypt. That they, that's why they resorted to saying, you know what, let's go to Egypt and let's see if we can get something for this time. But all along this way that we've been studying Joseph, we've, we've mentioned that uh, he's been a type of Jesus. And if you've been here, I've already explained that. If you haven't been here, what that simply means is we see characteristics and qualities in Joseph in the Old Testament that are seen in Jesus in the New Testament. And so we, we, that's called a type. So they say a type of Jesus, a type of Christ uh, has Joseph been in, in this study. The reason why he's been that is because we've seen him extend grace and forgiveness to the family that threw him aside. And again, the Bible says that Jesus came into his own and his own received him not. And that's exactly what we've seen with Joseph. They, they, they wanted him gone. They cast him out. They sold him into slavery. His own family got rid of him. He's also invited them to dine with him in his palace 
and given them a place at his table, which again, as Jesus Christ has said, come unto me, all ye who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus, his invitation is out there. His invitation is real. For those who are not at his table, those who are not in his kingdom, those who are not in his family, to come and be a part of his family, to come dine at his table, to come be in his place that he's preparing. Now last week, we saw that he's uh, revealed himself. That's something that the Lord has done through Christ for us. But Joseph, in revealing himself to his brothers, three things were very clearly seen, and we pointed this out. Number one, there was a very clear invitation. Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me. He wanted them near to him. That's the same thing that Jesus wants of his people. He wants us to be near him. The second thing we saw Joseph extend, same thing that Jesus has, is a clear declaration of forgiveness. Joseph told his brothers, don't be grieved or angry with yourselves. You've messed up, you've done wrong, you've done me wrong, but I'm telling you, you're forgiven. Don't be grieved or angry with yourselves. And then the third thing that we saw was a very clear purpose for all of it. You look at God sending his only son, and then simply to die on the cross, somebody stands back and says, what's the purpose of that? Why would God come to this earth simply to die? Again, it was a very clear purpose that Joseph said, the same clear purpose that we see that Jesus Christ came and suffered for, uh, on this earth as well. And it was this, God sent me before you to preserve life. That's, that's why Joseph said, you know what, I've gone through, I've gone through, I've gone through the hurt, the rejection, the betrayal, all of the, the, the negative things because God had a plan to preserve life through me. And again, we see that with Jesus. Uh, I didn't get into this devotion um, last week. I really wanted to get into it. Um, but I, I want to share this because uh, it's, it's, it's a point of being loved and accepted. It's a point of uh, ex experiencing these things even though we don't deserve it. Again, it's the same exact thing that we see with Joseph and his brothers. It's the same thing that we see today. Maybe there's somebody here even today that's thinking, you know, I don't deserve God's love. I don't deserve God's forgiveness. I don't deserve to be accepted, to sit at God's table. I don't deserve any of those things. I've done a lot of really bad things. Um, but listen to this. This is a devotion I, I recently read. It says, we live in a world that often devalues people. There is hatred and bigotry in abundance. And among those messages, messages of worthlessness, it can sometimes be hard for us to really believe that God actually loves and values us. The offer of salvation by grace through faith, however, is a powerful measure of how God views our value. The great evangelist J. Wilbur Chapman said, I was standing the other day in Tiffany's in New York, and I overheard a woman asking to see some pearls. The salesman placed on the counter some wonderful pearls, and I heard him say that the price of those pearls was $17,000. When I looked at them, they seemed overwhelmingly splendid. This sum of money represented Tiffany's estimate of the value of those pearls. You may say that your life is not worth very much, but I tell you that you are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. I tell you that in the sight of God, you are worth more than the gold in the hills and all the diamonds in the fields. As great as the offer of salvation is, it must be personally accepted. At the time to make that decision, the time to make that decision is not some unknown point in the future. It's today. Because there's no guarantee of tomorrow given to any of us. And that's what the scripture says. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what's your life? It's even a vapor that appear for a little time and vanish away. The accepted time 
God offers for salvation is right now. But in our struggles, it can be hard to remember that. It can be hard to remember our value in God's sight. If you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for any amount of time, and maybe you're here this morning and you're struggling with sin, or maybe you're struggling with, with where you're at in life, or, or something's going on in your life, and you're saying, man, I just, I don't really feel this embrace of God. I don't really feel this, like, I'm a child of God. You know, like, like I am, I'm precious in His sight. You have to know that regardless of how you feel, regardless of your experience, the truth remains that you are valuable to God. Valuable enough to send His only Son to die in your place. And so this morning, as we remember that, and remember what we've seen so far in our study, let's pray. I want to move forward and see uh, what we can look at this morning. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you again for this day. Thank you for all that you do for us, God. And we know that even though we feel worthless at times, even though we feel like that we fall so sh short, and we know we do, we know that it's not just a feeling, it's a reality. God, we, we miss the mark so many times. God, there's things that we, that we end up doing that we shouldn't do. There's things that we should be doing that we don't do. And God, your grace is, is such an amazing thing. Your mercy is, is so amazing uh, that you would extend it to us, not just for salvation, but even as your children day after day. And we're thankful for it. Lord, I pray that we would remember that as we look forward in this study and as we gain this life point this morning. And uh, God, again, if there is somebody here today that has never accepted that free gift of salvation, I pray they would realize and heed the opportunity because the invitation is now. It's not guaranteed tomorrow. Salvation is not guaranteed two days, a week, a year from now. It's guaranteed right now if, if, if we accept it. And so if there's no, somebody here that has never accepted your free gift of salvation, experienced their sins being wiped away and forgiven because of the blood, I pray that they would make that decision today before they leave. Lord, help us again just to uh, receive from you what you have. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Again, remember, Joseph has revealed himself. He's offered forgiveness to his brothers. And uh, now he's explaining God's purpose in all of this. If you take a kind of a, a step back and you look at what's going on, and if you're like watching a, a, a home movie or like we, we did in the beginning with Joseph watching his family, and you look at all this, all of us in this room for the most part would look and say, you know what, Joseph could have... You know, maybe that little bit of, of resentment, maybe that little bit of, of vengeance, maybe that little bit, I'm just going to mess with my brothers a little bit, right? I mean, I think that if we're, we're honest, in, in especially in the culture that we live in today where there's social media and, and there's just, like I said, the, the, the value of human life and it's so devalued in, in our culture today, I, I think we look at this and we say, man, he has an opportunity to really give them a hard time. But what we see is this amazing pouring out of grace. Regardless of how he has felt, regardless of what he has experienced, he has been able to tap into the wisdom of God. He's been able to, to, to be directed by God himself in this experience and say, God has had a purpose, even in all this bad, even in all this ugly, even in all this hurt, this loss. And again, we see in verses 4 and 5 that we read last week what he said. Joseph said to his brethren, come near to me, I pray you. And they came near and he said, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither. And here it is, because God did send me before you to preserve life. What an amazing ability to be able to see God's purposes, even in such a negative situation. Even in such a, 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 a bad condition, a bad state. 
to be able to say, God's hand is in this. And now we're able to finally see his hand when we didn't see it before. Genesis chapter 45, verse 6 is where we continue on. He explain, continues on in this explanation because he says, For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there's five years left. There's still five more years of famine in which there shall never, neither be earing, that means plowing or harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve a, a posterity. That means a remnant. God sent me before you so that the line that he promised he would preserve would actually be preserved. Which is an amazing thing, right? Because that's what Joseph was banking on. That's what Joseph was standing on. Somebody says, how can you do that? How can you have that perspective that Joseph had when he had gone through all of that bad? When he had gone through all of that negative? When he had gone through all that hurt and betrayal? All of that, how could Joseph still say, God did this? God's in this. God had a plan through all of this. How could he maintain that in the integrity of his heart, the, the posture of his life, his faith? How could he continue to be faithful to God through all of this? Just in that small little sentence right there, it reveals that Joseph was standing on the promises of God, on what God had said. How did he get through? How did he keep going? How did he maintain a good perspective and even forgiveness for those who treated him bad? Because of what God had already said. He said, God sent me before you to preserve you, you, the line of Jacob, Israel. He sent me before you to make sure the remnant goes on in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Again, last week we reminded that the lower the valley, the higher the mountain. The greater the trial, the greater the blessing. It's just a reality. You go to a really, really low valley, well, the next mountaintop, which is what our life is about, is about mountains and valleys. The next mountaintop, no matter how actually high the mountaintop is, seems extremely high if it's a really low valley. Something we need to be reminded about in the difficult seasons. Something we need to be reminded about when we're going through those desert places, when we're going through maybe a spiritual famine in our life, in the hopeless-seeming days. Again, I mentioned it before, but Jesus said it very clearly. Why, why can I, how can I maintain the right perspective? How can I maintain these thoughts of, of good when I'm going through bad? How can, I, how can I keep my faith and stay faithful to God and not let my emotions and, and my feelings dictate what I do and, and what I don't do? And again, Jesus said it very clearly that he came to seek and save the lost. Jesus said very clearly that he came to give us life and to give it more abundantly. He came to make us his people. And so when we look at this, we understand that God has a purpose in all of it. It's not like, well, my valley is really, really low. This dark place is really, really dark. My feelings are really, really bad. My experience is really, really, it's a really bad desert place. It's a really extreme famine that I'm going through right now. I've been in this place for a long time, and I don't see an end to it anytime soon. That's how, we, that's how we experience our spiritual life sometimes. We, we think it's just never going to end. I've been going through this trial for years now. I've been going through this trial for months now. It's not going to change. I guess it's never going to change, and I don't understand it. And sometimes we can get disgruntled. Sometimes we can get frustrated. Sometimes we can even turn and start to try to blame God himself. But the reason why I said that a while ago is that God came to seek and save the lost, that he gives life and gives it more abundantly, that he came to make a people is because we have to understand, again, that God has a purpose 
in every single thing in our life. If, if the Bible says he knows the very numbers of hair on our head, we have to know that he's intricately involved in everything that goes on in our individual lives. He knows. He knows the feelings you're having right now. He knows the temptations that you're going through. He knows the struggles that you're dealing with at your home and in your family, at your job, with your health, whatever. He knows all of the things going on. And where our human minds often go is this. If I'm, if, if I'm really God's child and I'm really precious in his sight and, I, and, and I'm really valuable to God and, and, and he really loves me and cares for me and what's, what's best for me, and he knows what struggles I'm going through, then why won't he end it right now? Why won't he bring it to, to, to a halt? Why won't he just free me from these, this bondage that I am? Why don't he just free me from the struggle that I'm going through? Why don't he just take me out of the valley, put me on the mountaintop? If he knows all of this intricately in my life, my mind, my heart, my struggle, everything, why doesn't God just change it for the better right now then? I, I want you to go in a little process of truth and thought with me. <clears throat> why would God, who is intentional about everything, even seen in his design, why would God, who is intentional about everything, even when you look in his design, he's very intentional? I, think about that for a second. Think about the human body. Think about the microscopic, the cellular level that our bodies exist in. Think about this intentionality. God grabbed dirt particles that he created. He grabbed that. And he formed a human body, formed Adam. That was dirt put together intricately by God. Yet when he breathed in the nostrils of man, the breath of life, the Bible says, life came to those particles and his artistry was revealed with such an intelligent design that new things still today are being uncovered. Still today. They are still, again, thousands of years ago, God grabs the dirt particles, puts them together, and breathes in such an amazing, purposeful design, so intricate, so vast, so amazing, down to this microscopic cellular level, that scientists and doctors today are still going, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> They're still trying to figure out certain sicknesses. They're still trying to figure out certain diseases that have attacked the body for years. And they still can't, why can't we figure it out? The body is such an amazing thing. Why, why in this circumstance, boom, it's, it's fixed. In this circumstance, it doesn't get fixed. Some of you may know this, but the human eye has millions of cells in it, the human eye. They say that there's four to six million cone cells in the human eye. That's the cells that uh, help with, with bright lights. Then they say that there's uh, approximately 90 million rod cells which help us deal with dim light. Think about that. Almost 100 million cells that they know of in the, in the human eye, one, that help us see in light and in dim light and darkness. That's phenomenal. Those are cells. Those are my, you can't look in somebody's eyes and say, I see your cells. You got to get a microscope and look and find and see all of these cells that God, again, took dirt, 
and then breathed in such an intelligent design into our bodies that every single eye that we have that works has almost 100 million cells that help us actually see. Not just say, oh, we got these balls in our head that move around, but they don't do anything. No, they actually see. There's a purpose in those cells that work. Perfect, intelligent design and purpose. Again, new understandings and new revelations of how our body works and how it doesn't work and, and how to fix it and how to, how to try to treat it. And they're every day coming up uh, with new stuff because technology is advancing. They're still searching for cures, still searching for answers. They don't have it all figured out. But again, I want you to remember, in a moment, God breathed into that lifeless body of dirt. And it was all perfectly aligned. Perfectly aligned to work the way that God intentionally designed it to work. Every part, every function, exactly how God did. Very intentional design. He was intentional about what was good and what was bad for Adam and Eve in the garden. He said it very clearly. Everything's yours. That one thing is mine. Don't touch it. Very intentional, very clear. So this intentional God, who is, he doesn't have any ambiguity in, in, in him at all. He's not looking to, to, to say, uh, I'm just, uh, you, you try to figure this out on your own. No, God is very intentional. Now, there may be things that are past us being able to find out because of his greatness and his glory, his thoughts and his ways, absolutely. There may be things that, that we don't see right now because we're in a temporal realm and he's in an eternal realm, absolutely. But God has revealed himself very clearly, specifically in the person of Jesus Christ, specifically in the word that he's given to us. God is very clear, he's very intentional about what he does. And so why would this God, who is very intentional, allow him? His people, not just any people, but his people, to go through something that is meaningless and pointless. Why would he do that? If he's so intentional that there's millions of cells in one eyeball that help it see, he's that detailed and that intentional, that he knows the very numbers of hair on every single one of our heads. He knows us that well. He's that intricately involved in every single one of our individual lives then why would he allow us to go through something where we say, I don't understand it. This makes no sense. I'm not going to church. I'm not doing this. I'm not, I'm not trying anymore. I, it's, this has been too long. This trial, this difficulty, this bad, this negativity. Why would he just allow us to go through it if it was pointless or meaningless? Again, even the struggle that you're going through right now, whatever it is, I want to remind you of some things that we talked about last week. Just because we don't have an answer, we don't have an answer, doesn't mean that God's not in it. Doesn't mean that he doesn't have a good purpose for it. Just because we don't see that purpose, doesn't mean that God doesn't have one. The things that we go through in this life that are unpleasant, the things that are bad, the things that are difficult, the struggles, the, the, the famines, the deserts, the losses, the trials, all of these things fit into God's purpose that is good. Now, this doesn't have to do with the things that may be correction on our sin, that, that, that chastisement. But I will say this, those things fit into his plan as well. But if God can use, listen, 
if he can use the pain and the torment and the torture and the betrayal and the hurt and the beating and even the death of his only begotten son, if God can use that to bring life to us, if he can use that to ensure life for others, then you first know how precious that you are to him, that he would do that. But secondly, you know that your desert, your trial, your difficulty can be used for good, can be used for life as well. And so I don't see that. There's no way. The bad that I'm going through, the bad that I'm experiencing, the difficulty of the trial, there's no way it can be used for God's good, for his kingdom. No way. I want to tell you you're wrong. And we'll see a little bit more of that. But our life point this morning is just that, what I said. If God can use the pain and suffering of Jesus to bring life to you, then he can use your pain and suffering too. That doesn't make sense. <clears> that <throat> he was God, he was, he was the son of God, and he can do that and because he, he's God. Mala, I'm, I'm nobody. Listen, he came and died for you. You have value to him. He would not have given you life. He gave you life. He offered eternal life to you because you are valuable. He knows the numbers of hair on your head. He knows everything about you. All these things are, are, are truth. And so if he can use the death of his only son to bring life to you, then he can use every negative thing that you're going through, every trial you're going through, or that you will go through for his good and glory as well. The apostle Paul, he, Paul realized this in his life. And uh, he encouraged other believers in Corinth with, uh, with this. And all believers since then, I, I just want to read this to you. I'm going to try not to read too fast, so stay with me. But for, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says this, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we've renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or, ta or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Paul's saying, listen, we're being sincere here. We're not trying to fake anything. We're not trying to conceal anything. We're not trying to play or pretend. We're trying to be real, and we're standing on the truth. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. Listen, we have no, there's no reason for us to keep the gospel veiled, because if we do, it's those who are lost that suffer. In their case, the God of this world is blind in the minds of the unbelievers. To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God? For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let the light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts. Here's, why God, here's what God has done, and here's why he's done it. He's shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure. Now we have this treasure in jars of clay, these bodies, to show. Here's why. Here's why we have the Holy Spirit. Here's why we have eternal life. Here's why we have the presence of God in us. Here's why we have this light in us, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. He said, because here's our life experience, and here's the truth that we know about our life experience. We're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, persecuted, 
But we know God hasn't forsaken us. Struck down, beaten, stoned, thrown in prison, Paul. But not destroyed. Always caring about in the body. He's talking about in our physical body, every day, always caring about the death of Jesus. We are living from day to day, suffering physical affliction, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. That's the purpose. We're going through all this negative for the cause of Christ so that Christ is manifested to all others who need him. Verse 11, for we know we, we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Did you see that? He's saying, listen, we're going through suffering. We're going through persecution. We're going through the negative in our physical bodies, these trials, this difficulty, so that Jesus is seen very clearly and not us. We're being beaten down. We're being, we're being torn up. We're being afflicted. But in all of this, we're staying true to the Lord, and he is being manifested through our lives. So death is at work in us, but life in you. See, that, that, that's a great statement of others over self as well. He was saying, you know what? We're going through death, physical death, every day. I mean, we're on the verge of dying because we're being stoned. We're being beaten with, with, with whips and lashes. And, and, and we're being thrown out of cities and thrown in jail. And we're going through all of this. But there's a greater purpose in us going through the negativity. And that's so that life comes to you who need it. So that Jesus is revealed in our life. And that we're not living a life of comfort and selfishness for ourselves. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us, raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Listen, verse 15. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Verse 16. So we don't lose heart. Though our outer self... Our outer man is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Listen, we're going through all this negativity in our, in our fleshly bodies, but inside we're being stirred up. We're being renewed. We're being rejuvenated spiritually every day, even though we're getting beaten and, and persecuted, and nobody likes us, and nobody wants us in their city, and nobody wants to be friends with us. Every day we're getting renewed day by day. Because he says this is, the, this is the reason why they're able to do that. Because we realize that this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all uh, comparison. And he says this, because we don't look at the things that are seen, but we look to the things that are unseen. Because the things that are seen are transient, they're temporal. But the things that are unseen are eternal. See, there are some principles that the Apostle Paul was resting in. There's some truths. There, it, there were some things that, again, Joseph was standing on the truth, the word of God that Paul was doing as well. So, some things that he said, you know what, no matter what I go through, I'm okay because I know these truths. No matter how I feel, no matter what I experience, no matter what happens in, in, in any part of my life, I'm okay because I know these truths. And I want to go through them real quickly and we're going to be done. These things can help us today. Number one, Jesus himself is worth it all. Paul 
could go through whatever he went through because he saw that Jesus himself was worth it. Not what Jesus offered, not what Jesus could do for him, not what the things that Jesus could give to him, but Jesus himself was worth everything that he could go through. Paul believed that. He said that in uh, Philippians chapter 3. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Here's what he said. Here's why. Because of the surpassing worth. The surpassing, there's nothing that exceeds this value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Did you hear that? He, it, it wasn't what God could give him or what Jesus could give him. He saw everything in his life that was valuable to mankind, being a Hebrew, having fame, having authority, being a Pharisee, all these things. He said, you know what? Everything in the world I count as loss. When I look at knowing Jesus Christ, the worth the value of knowing him surpasses everything in this world. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish or dung, in order that I may win Christ and be found in him. Do you hear that? That I may win Christ, not, not the crowns or the jewels or the heaven or the mansion, that I may win Christ and be found in him, in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Listen to what he says in verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I have made, my, made it my own. Paul says, I haven't arrived. I, I know that. But this one thing I do, I'm forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward calling in God, of God in Christ Jesus. And so let those of us who are mature think this way. That's what he says. Listen, what we go through in this life is just temporal. What we have in this life is temporal. But the greatest gain, the greatest trophy, the greatest win is to know Christ and to be with him. And so, so that's why I say, you know what? Everything I've gone through bad, everything that I failed at, even all my successes and all my, my accolades, all of that are gone. All that's gone. And I'm pressing towards this upward calling in Christ Jesus. I, I want him. I, I want to be with him. He is the treasure. He is the reward. He is my great reward. And, so, and he says this, God will, uh, if any man think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Number two, Jesus is preparing a place for us. Number one, we see that Jesus is worth it himself. He's worth it all. Worth the suffering, worth the trial, worth the famine, worth the difficulty, worth the hurt, worth the suffering, all those things. But the second thing Paul stood on that we should stand on in our trial is that Jesus is pre preparing a place. Yes, he's the greatest reward. Yes, he is, is the treasure that, that nothing else can compare to. But there's also a truth knowing that Jesus said in John chapter 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mentions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. That's what Jesus told his followers. I'm going to prepare an eternal home for us, for you. So you can be with me forever. Paul stood on that. That's why I said, I can't wait for the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus to be with him, to be in that place with him. Second, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter, no, second, I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. I think, yeah. 
Uh, it says that I have not seen or ear heard what God has before prepared for them that love him. There's, we, we can't even comprehend what God is doing right now in preparing this place. Number three, God cannot lie. I'm not going to read all of this for the sake of time, but I want to encourage you to read it. Hebrews chapter 6, but I do want to look at verse 18. Talked about how God had worked with Abraham. Verse 18, so that but two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of a soul, a hope that enters into the, uh, into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. God can't lie. He's already done it. The veil is torn. He entered in for us. He has made the way for us to have an eternal home with God. So no matter what happens in our life, no matter what we feel or think or experience, God's truth remains. He cannot lie. He can't lie. So if he said it, if it's in his word, we can stand on it. That's what Joseph did throughout all his 24 years of being separated from his family. He stood on what God's promise was. That's what Paul did in every affliction that he went through. That's what our Christian brothers and sisters around the world who are still being persecuted, they're standing on the truth of God's word and the fact that he cannot lie, that he will keep his promises. Number four, God is eternal. Psalm 90 verse 2 says that from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. God sees from an eternal perspective. How in the world could we say in our 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, even 80, 90, 100 years on this earth that we have a grip on what God's plan is and his purpose when he has been eternally existent and has been working with mankind for thousands of years. Yet we have maybe a, a century or less on this earth with our perspective. God is eternal. To rest in that truth, to stand on that truth, to say, you know what, God, you're eternal. I'm temporal. I trust you. Regardless of what I go through in this life, I trust you. Number five, God is just. I love this. God is just, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There's no distinction, he said. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All are justified by his grace, and it's a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, he satisfied the wrath of God through the blood that was shed to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. The death of Christ, the, the payment for our sins was to show God's righteousness because in his for, divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. I love that. God said, man, uh, Paul was writing this down. He said, look, God passed over former sins. He, he handed out righteousness when we didn't deserve it. It was through Jesus Christ. It was to show that his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I love that. Justice was handed out for us on Jesus Christ. What did we deserve? Look at Jesus. That's what happened. We deserve the beating. We deserve the betrayal. We deserve the forsaking. We deserve the pain, the suffering, because we're the sinners. But God being just and willing to forbear, to overlook our sins in, in the payment, Jesus Christ suffered for that so that we could experience the righteousness and the forgiveness and the acceptance in the presence of God. 
He's just. It doesn't make sense to us because we deserve it, but God did it through Jesus Christ. He's just. Number six, God is love. You can read John, 1 John chapter 4 when you get time. The whole chapter talks about how God is love. You go through something right now, you're dealing with it, why would God allow me to do this? Remember, it's truth. It doesn't change because of your experience or your circumstance or your feelings. God is love still. He's still love. And lastly, God is concerned about saving those destined for hell, not our temporal comfort. Nowhere in Scripture are we told that, you know what, on this earth, you're gonna, you just need to make your way and feel comfortable and, and go from one good experience to the next. No, Jesus said, in this world you shall have tribulation. Be sure to know that they're going to hate you because they first hated me. Know that they that live godly will suffer persecution. He, he would say all these things, but it doesn't change any of those things. Why? Because sinners are still in the world. And 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And so while we deal with bad, while we deal with negative, while there's brokenness, while there's thorns, while there's pain in childbirth, while there's all these negative things in this world is because of sin. And there's still sinners sinning. Even us who have been redeemed, we still sin. When you go and talk about that person behind their back and gossip, that hurts somebody. When you, when you have division, when you have any other sin, it, it's, it's an offense. It adds to the negativity in this, in this life, the trials in this life. But the Bible says very clearly the wages of sin is death. The reason why we have brokenness, hurt, death, destruction in this world is because of sin. And the reason why that it's still out there is because of what 2 Peter 3, 9 says, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. So here we go from one valley, from one trial, from one famine, from one struggle, from one desert place to the next. And the only way that we can make it through with the right heart, with the right attitude, with the right perspective is to remember these things and stand on them like Joseph did and like people like Paul did. See, God used the folly as I close, the poor choice, even the unrighteousness of man in what the brothers did to Joseph to actually work for his glory and for his purpose. You get that? He used their hatred. He used their jealousy. He used their selling out of their brother. He used their, their sin. He used their negative, their unrighteousness to work it out for his glory, even though man couldn't see it beforehand. Even though man looking at it said, oh man, that's horrible. That's the worst thing that could ever happen. There's no way God could work that out for his good. Even through the pain, the struggle, again, the hurt, the suffering, it was for a season. Maybe 24 years worth of season, but it was still a time, a period. It's a season. And God still used it to bring life. There's a parallel, again, with Christ and his path of suffering to give us life. The last verse is verse 8. So now, that, so now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. See, he said it was God who did this. He used your sin, he used your wrong, he used your unrighteousness, he used your bad choices. And what mankind did wrong, God said, you're not going to change my purpose because you did something wrong. I'll use it to accomplish my purpose. Somebody say, well, so that it doesn't matter if I keep doing what God wants me to do or not. I can just do wrong all the time, and God's still going to use it to accomplish his purpose. I would say absolutely not. James tells us, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, it's sin. Paul would say in Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, he would say, that, that where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. And how, who have been forgiven of sin, who have been freed from sin, how can we go back to serve sin again? 
if we're no longer there. This morning, I just want to encourage you, let's remember these principles. Stand on these truths. I don't know what you're going through. I maybe know what some of you are going through, but maybe you're going through something you haven't shared with anybody else. Remember, God is designing a beautiful masterpiece. Your life is a part of it. Even the hurt, even the things that you experience in this sinful world, God still has a purpose for you. Every heartache, every trial, every infirmity, every struggle, it all has a, has a place. We must stand on truth and not our human experience to maintain that perspective, the right perspective about our life. Don't allow your subjective experience to shape your perspective because that's foolish. Say, well, this is what I feel. This is what I experience. This is what I'm going through. Don't let that shape your perspective. Stand on the truth and let that give you the perspective that's right. That's how God's going to grow you. That's how he's going to get victory and glory in your life. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to be here. And this reminder this morning that you're good, that all your ways are right, that you don't make a mistake. God, you were very clear in the very beginning in the garden with man, and you, you gave a very clear command not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it's us, it's man that messed up. You've never messed up. But what you've done along the way, all throughout mankind's history, is do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. You've used good things, you've used man's sin and bad things, all to keep your purpose and, and your glory intact, God. Nothing can change that. And so this morning we submit ourselves to you as your people, and we're asking for your help for us to stand on these truths that we saw this morning. Lord, if there's somebody here that's never entered into forgiveness, maybe they're there this morning in that, in that chair, and they don't know what it's like to have all of their sins forgiven. They don't know what it's like to have a brand new start, to have a brand new slate clean, a new life, a relationship with you. They don't know what that's like. I pray that if there's someone there in that seat this morning, that they would come down during this invitation and they'd receive that forgiveness. They'd receive that, that new life that you offer. God, just move now and we'll praise you for what you do. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.